0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyom. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at MyFirstSketch.com. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. You can like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. And it'd be really cool if you rate right it five stars and left a review on whatever platform you choose. All right, let's start with some really cool news. Uh, sketchybater the sketch comedy Open mic that I've been hosting on Zoom for the past two years. We're going to the real world. June 26th, 6 p.m. We're going to Tattooed Mom, 530 South Street here in Philadelphia. You can find all the information at sketchybater.com. It is a 21 and over event. They will card you at the door uh, because it's a bar. We'll still be doing Sketchybater on Zoom. But I'm really excited to get in the same room and read sketches with a bunch of sketch comedians. So come down to Tattoo Mom, grab a drink, grab something to eat, and let's read some sketch comedy. Today's guest is Mike Bach, currently a member of Mike Bach and Friends, based in Washington, D.C. Mike Bach and Friends will perform, along with Trash Bang, at Bad Medicine Presents Sketch Night at the DC Improv for two shows on Saturday, June 18th. Tickets are available at dcimprov.com. Mike's first sketch is called Uber Sandwich. Mike reads the roles of the narrator, of the commercial, and Randy, the employee at the sandwich shop. I read the role of Stephanie, the customer, and give you all the visual information you need to know. So let's get to the sketch. Open on an exterior, generic-looking sandwich shop. Fast. Affordable. Convenient.
1: These are the words that we think you'll like. That's why we designed a sandwich restaurant that's perfect for your fast-paced lifestyle.
0: Cut to the interior where a customer, Elizabeth, is talking to Randy, the sandwich artist, preparing her meal. Could I get a
1: turkey on whole wheat, please? Sure. Since it's 12.15 in the afternoon, I'm legally required to tell you that we're in primetime mode.
0: Uh what is prime time mode?
1: Ma'am, there's like 80 people behind you and they also want sandwiches. Either you want the sandwich or you don't. Can I help the next customer? Wait, 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 yeah,
0: I want the sandwich. Get the closest of bread and fresh ingredients, not unlike every other sandwich restaurant that advertises on TV.
1: Imagine if eating healthy was as simple as pressing a button.
0: Cut back to Elizabeth and Randy leaning over Elizabeth's smartphone. Can't I just tell you what I want? You're right in front of me.
1: You have to use the app or I can't make the sandwich.
0: Ugh, fine. I, I don't see a turkey button on this thing. Cut to more stock footage of people smiling eating sandwiches.
1: It's our duty to be as honest and open about our sandwich making process as possible because we're committed
0: to making you happy. Cut back to Randy making the sandwich and chatting while Elizabeth stands in lines and waits.
1: Yeah, to be honest, I got this job two, maybe two and a half hours ago. I've never even heard of most of the stuff on this menu before.
0: Randy points to a picture of ham on the menu. Uh, How did you get a job at a sandwich restaurant? The
1: guy who used to work here got fired for sending pictures of his penis through the app instead of sandwiches. Oh, man, my Band-Aid came off from the mail. Our service is easy, convenient, and just the way you want it. Sandwiches are charged through the app. It's a safe and easy way to pay for food.
0: Elizabeth is finally ready to pay as Randy hands her a to-go bag.
1: Okay, your total is $46.
0: Is this a joke? The sign says any sandwich costs $4.99.
1: Like I said earlier, we're in primetime mode. It's 12.15 in the afternoon, and everyone wants a sandwich right now. That means we can charge whatever we want. So,
0: $46. This is outrageous.
1: Look, if you're still hungry, come back at 3 a.m. The demand will be low enough that you can get the sandwich for $4.99.
0: Elizabeth's running out. I should have just gone to Subway.
1: Sandwiches that empower the customer and the consumer. Easy, convenient, and just the way you want it. With sandwiches by Uber, everyone wins. Randy shouting at Elizabeth, please give me a good rating or we we'll won't get to make more sandwiches.
0: And back out. Hey, Mike.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So tell me about the sketch. Where did this idea come from?
1: Oh, man. Oh, um... man. This was this sketch was a product of my garden path way of getting into comedy. Um I got the idea from just being in my mid 20s in DC and using Uber a little bit and finding it to be a minor frustration in my everyday life. Um I wrote this as part of a 2-day workshop from the DC improv. Um it was like a write SNL style sketches for the first time. Um and I took that class for the first time in 2015 and this was the end result of it.
0: Do you remember who, like, led that workshop?
1: Yeah, it was um, Ali Farnakian. He's a former SNL guy. He uh, mentioned during the class that he was an SNL writer in the, I think, late 90s, around the time that... Um, oh, God. Mango? Yeah. From uh, from Chris Kattan's character uh, was really big, and he wrote uh, one or more mango sketches, and uh, he was on for the year that Mango was just taking over everything, <laughs> and wanted to put Mango in every episode. Uh,
0: yeah, Mango. I mean, yeah, Mango is a big part of that era. That's no for sure. But Al, like Ali, he um, I think he's like one of the big founders of uh, the Pit in New York City. That's definitely
1: possible. I only remember the the Mango thing.
0: Yeah, I, I th- if-, if memory serves, after like TV work. He, he started the pit and then he went to North Carolina to like start a, a second pit down there. And I don't know how that's gone since COVID. Uh, so, so what, what drove you to take a, a writing workshop at DC Improv?
1: Oh, it was, um, it was through years of uh, going to comedy shows and then just thinking, oh man, I could be doing that. And then, just trying to worm my way in however I could.
0: Here's a weird question. In your head, the thought of, oh man, I could be doing that. Is that more of a, I'm just as talented as these people, or this looks fun? Let's do this.
1: Honestly, a little of both. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I had my, a good friend of mine used to do uh, open mics in DC back when there were only like five open mics. Um, and he would go to these shows and they would have people who were really good and crush it. And then they would have people who were just just terrible. Oh.
0: So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you kind of get inspiration on both ends. Um I was it, Alan Morris said you 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 learn from uh consuming bad media. Um and that's I, that's what I was doing, uh, whether I realized it or not. Cool. Um so you know, just having watched having gone to his shows for a couple of years since you know graduating college, I I just kinda felt like, well, I, I should be trying this. So I started doing some of the open mics um, <laughs> and I did pretty much everything you're supposed to do wrong, um, which is, you know, uh, write your jokes a couple days before on a three by five postcard and then try and memorize the three by five postcard word for word um, and just parachute into the show. Uh, don't really talk to any of the other performers. Um, try and get your lines and then uh, leave.
0: Yeah, And
1: I did that, I don't know, six, seven times, realized uh, this isn't working. Maybe I should try to do something else. And then just kind of stumbled upon the, the class of the DC Improv.
0: So you you went with stand-up first. Like that was your first yeah. attempt was, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, you say six or seven times, and I feel like that might not be, I think any stand-up will tell you, or, you know, any veteran stand-up, any good long-term person would probably tell you that six or seven times might not be enough <laughs> to know that you're not good or, and I feel like, you know, you might, you might think it's, this isn't working. This doesn't feel good. So let's try something else. So I'm assuming you might've done an open mic at the improv, at the DC improv and like, oh, they've got this. Let's try this. Right.
1: I think I was Googling, like looking to see if they had open mics. And then like, they, I saw they had classes and I was like, wait a minute, you can just take a class to be good at comedy? <laughs> I didn't even really know that was a thing. Um, I mean, I've been like a lifelong fan of comedy, but, you know, I never really thought that I would be able to do it until I started going to those open mics. And then from there, it just kind of like, oh, wait, there's like, this whole world of people who are actually trying to do this. And um, yeah, all this stuff is already here. And all I need to do is just kind of find it.
0: Yeah. All right. So you talk about being a lifelong fan. So let's go back. What do you have like an earliest impression or an earliest memory of what comedy was for you?
1: Oh God. Um, <laughs> that's I mean, really it all starts from probably just watching. I think this is a pretty common answer. I'm sure you hear uh, just watching reruns of the Simpsons. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just that two hour block on, on Fox where you would watch it from uh, like six to eight or whatever. It was actually Simpsons, Friends, and Seinfeld was the big block when you would just get two hours of like good sitcom comedy.
0: Yeah, I, th- uh, I think for us in Philly for a while, it was Simpsons, Simpsons, Frasier, Seinfeld and Friends was on a different channel when Frasier was on. So you would do Simpsons, Simpsons, change the channel to Friends and then come back for Seinfeld because I was 13 who who cared about Frasier. Frasier felt more. Frasier felt more grown up and adult to me versus friends in Seinfeld, so
1: I was a big Fraser head too that that was when I would watch it with my parents and they would laugh and I just didn't know what the the what they were saying but I recognized that they were punchlines
0: <laughs> right exactly like oh yeah th- this rhythm feels right but I have no clue what that reference is like
1: I don't know what a cabaret is but I know he insulted <laughs> his brother Niles
0: <and> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah absolutely um yes yeah, so, okay so let's talk about simpsons do you like and it's so weird because like simpsons have been on like forever and i feel like for the most part people age out of it yeah for sure like and and i feel it might be true of snl too like you know the ones that have been around forever like so did, what was like the specific era do you remember of like of simpsons that you were that really hooked you in
1: it was probably i mean seasons 3 through 12 are my favorite but i was watching it hardcore all the time from like 1998 to like 2004 okay um, yeah so uh and i'd seen pretty much every episode in that that run so i think that'd be the first like 13 or 14 seasons
0: yeah um yeah i think that's pretty close to me i i might i might have dropped off at like, at like 12 yeah where where every episode felt like a big adventure or let's go somewhere big guest star like it was no longer like a family sitcom anymore
1: yeah and i just i i didn't really consciously like drop off it just kind of felt like there was just other stuff to do on sunday nights instead they maybe have more competition
0: for sure um oh absolutely like if you if you think about like the the viewership numbers of of original simpsons and like when it was a huge hit versus now Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's true of every show because there is more competition there's you know netflix and hulu and sending like the old guy that's complaining about all that, that kind of stuff like <laughs> simpsons simpsons wouldn't have survived an episode if they had the viewership numbers they have now like back in the day oh yeah for sure but they're still making hundreds of millions of dollars so yeah more power to them gotta get that syndication money syndication money that fx money might still be a thing i don't know the disney plus money oh yeah and i have to imagine that like for every episode they produce it's a, that's like another 10 million dollars like for everyone so you know that's why it's <laughs> so gonna keep happening
1: and it you know it just goes on without you know my um the fact that i'm not watching it doesn't matter so it's like yeah sure if they want to keep doing this make it a million more years who cares what powers be it
0: and i also wonder and i probably should talk to my like my nephews because they would be the right age for me asking this question but like are the is the younger generation discovering it like through disney plus and stuff like are the high schoolers now like like oh the simpsons let's let's dive into the simpsons i wonder
1: I, I don't I wish I had more Zoomer friends. I I, I want to be able to ask I <laughs> no idea.
0: I'll put them on the list to talk. Yeah, ask my nephews. Uh so all right. So first memories is obviously the syndication mm-hmm. early evening stuff. Um what's your first memory of like sketch comedy?
1: Ooh, um I got really into SNL, of course, um, as mm. everyone does all the time. Um also mad TV. Yeah. Uh, mad TV uh <laughs> I was watching it pretty young and a lot of those jokes were uh, not really kid appropriate, but you know, if you're like eight, and nine, it's just a thrill to be up past 11. So
0: I, I, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, it, it felt to me that like Matt TV was the more. Like if SNL's PG or T, you know, TV, PJ, like our, Matt TV was like PG 13 mm-hmm. tiptoeing into R, like, a little yeah. dirtier a little more adult
1: it was like risque but also the characters were like a little cartoonier and yeah better. like yeah. i remember being really into michael mcdonald's characters of like stewart and then like the depressed persian tow truck man uh,
0: uh, stewart for me was definitely the big one because like i would do that with my sister that like no like <laughs> like yeah i and i wonder if i because i think it's on like hbo max now like I don't think I fully revisited it and I want to, I want to see how it holds up.
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's going to hold up.
0: Cause I feel, I feel we're in an era where comedy doesn't have a shelf life anymore. Like as we get more progressive and, you know, society is more woke and understands those things and how awful, you know, like, the first tow truck driver might not be the best character now.
1: Yeah. And even if the original intent was not for Michael McDonald to be like, I'm going to punch down at Persian guys. Yeah. That's certainly how it comes across. So, I And mean, there,
0: there might be a little brown face in there. There might like, I don't I remember. Forgot. Oh God. <laughs> I don't remember how his, uh, makeup was, uh, Yes, yeah, so I ask everybody, um, do you have a favorite SNL cast member?
1: Ooh, um, hmm. yeah, God, there's so many. It's just like, and you go through the the years and it's like, you kind of have like your, your favorites of different eras. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was really into Chris Farley when he was huge. Um, also, I just had a really strong appreciation for Mike Myers, not necessarily because he was the funniest, but it felt like he just had like a ton of range. Um, I kind of missed the Phil Hartman years, so um I know that's a popular answer. Yeah. Um Bill Hader and Andy, Andy Sandberg for sure. Um, just two two guys to would always just ring laughs out of me.
0: Yeah, I the the post SNL careers of some of the guy like of some of the people like of the last 10, 15 years has been phenomenal and so cool to see. Like because they were so good on the show, like. And now, like I mean, you know, thinking with, because tons of people have been saying Barry, like Bill Hater in the last couple of years, and I think that's partially due to Barry, like how good Barry is. Um, Will Forte, Andy Sandberg, like their their post careers have been so fantastic. Yeah, for sure. It's like, like and and they're,
1: they're they're top of mind. I mean, if you asked me in 2011 who my favorite SNL character is, I probably would said Tina Fey because I was watching yeah, Three Rock all the time.
0: Absolutely, for sure. Okay, so, uh. You start getting into friends, stand up open mics, decide, hey, I could probably do this too. Mm-hmm. Learn about a, a, a writing workshop. Is there any other like writing classes that you take for sketch comedy?
1: Uh, no, because they didn't really have like L1 sketch when I was looking for. It. Like they had it like intermittently. This was in like 2014, 15. So like they had these like weekend workshops, but if you wanted to do more comedy, you kind of had to go somewhere else. So I started taking improv uh, at Washington Improv Theater,
0: okay.
1: um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I went through the whole curriculum. Um, I kind of started realizing that uh, there's parts of comedy that I like, that I I'm kind of okay with, and parts of it that I really really like. So you know, performing with other people is something I really really like because it's you know if I mess up and forget my line, there's someone there to, to tell me out. There's mm-hmm. the camaraderie hanging out before and after. There's, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff where, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's less of a solo thing like sketches. And it's more like just this way to have fun with like-minded people. Um, and uh, also learning game was <laughs> like really, really important. I mean, I, I, I think you can see from the first sketch that I didn't really know how game works at all because I just never had it explained. So, like, being able to, like, sh- see what the pieces are of, like, character and game and playing a scene from improv um, was really informative because it got me to realize, like, oh, you know, going up on stage and, like, being with other people is fun, but wouldn't we have more fun if we just knew we were going to be funny all the time by coming up with the jokes
0: beforehand? Right. Absol- oh. That, that idea of, like, yeah, we can we can plan funny. Like yeah. <laughs> it's so helpful. Uh, I forgot to ask this question as we talked about your first sketch. Was this ever performed or shot? Like did you did you ever like actually produce this?
1: Strong, no. Uh
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean just, just from growing up watching comedy all the time, like I, I had a you know a pretty decent sense of like what was funny and what wasn't. So I knew that I had a lot of fun writing it and I was proud of it, but it wasn't something that was as good as like some of the sketches I would see on stage. Yeah. So I kind of thought that, oh, this will just be one of those sketches I write and then just never show.
0: You know, as a a kind of like a writing exercise more than like a good first attempt, uh, you know, get it, get going, get, get a start to it for sure. Like,
1: yeah, you know, pull the, pull the chain on lawnmower.
0: But the same, like I feel like, I, I feel like all of my first sketches, I wanted to perform, like I wanted to produce, but I didn't want to do them, or maybe even have my name on them. Like, <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to see things like, out loud for myself. But, man, a lot of my first sketches, I don't think I ever, actually did. I, because I, I took comedy classes here in Philadelphia, and thinking back, I don't think any of those sketches that I wrote for that class. ever performed
1: man did you do like audience or you know like group reads at the end where yeah in the class
0: yeah we did group reads and i feel like i would have been like in the top half of the class Mm -hmm. but very much in the middle of that top like in the bottom of the top half like if we were ranking sketches i would have been like you know fifth or sixth yeah Yeah. but that's also because there were so many just awful awful sketches in that first class like
1: yeah you meet some really interesting characters in those lower level uh comedy classes
0: yeah and i'm sure you know like you experienced that with going through uh like improv levels like yeah like oh like there's always like someone in the class where you're like how did you find out about this like because i don't understand how you came across this at all
1: for sure. I mean, you know, doing in DC too. There's a lot of people who like want to take a break from their careers and do something like creative and like you know, it's it's some like consultant for like the, the Democratic Party. Or something. <laughs> and like, they're like, oh yeah, well my coworkers say I'm funny, so I'm trying this. And then yeah, just,
0: the office cut up. The yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, the the guy who just uh, loves making jokes by the water cooler.
0: So you you take all the improv classes at at uh, Washington Improv theater uh and you know that that light bulb hits you like oh i can plan to be funny Mm
1: -hmm.
0: more and that might be better than making it up on the spot so what's the first step of of that
1: yeah so i just started googling like dc sketch comedy classes and i found dojo comedy um which is another comedy theater in dc um so they had a whole sketch curriculum which i was excited about
0: okay Uh, so i think you might be the first person i've talked to that has gone through dojos process so mm-hmm. let's talk about it um i'm assuming so the first sketch comedy class who who who's teaching it for you like who's the instructor
1: oh i had uh two instructor two instructors um jen kobach and sarah phil um, oh
0: they are not the names i expected to hear
1: <laughs> were you expecting murph
0: yeah I, I, didn't, I don't know those names at all
1: <laughs> uh jen is uh has been dating murph for like 10 years
0: oh okay
1: yeah And, um, and Sarah were both part of a group, uh, called Frankie at the time.
0: Uh, okay. Okay. So I know, I do know Frankie. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just don't, I didn't recognize those names. All right. So yeah. So tell me about the the process of the, of the writing courses through Dojo.
1: Yeah. It was just like a fun eight week course where you learn the basics of, um, you know, putting together sketches and every, uh, week is a different structure. Um and I had a good group of uh people doing it with me. And you know, like it was just a really supportive crew, and we all like got to know our senses of humor and just you know cracked each other up every class. So it was just really good having that. That honestly probably got me to stick with sketch more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end, um there was I think some kind of like it was like Dojo uh it was like all comers sketch show where you basically just had whatever sketch you wanted to put on like they would they would accommodate you they give you space in this show so we, we had a sketch um it was a parody of hamilton uh but it was about john adams <laughs> like how the stuff he did was kind of more boring than what hamilton did <laughs> uh and we did a rap about it uh and uh we all kind of wrote it together and um it, it got like a ton of laughs at this little uh, sketch review showcase.
0: Was that the um, first time that you performed within like the sketch content like context?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um I never like put up a sketch on stage before that and it I felt like it went great. Um I mean at the <laughs> I felt like a great like for my first sketch, uh, at the time, but
0: who knows right. if it was actually funny. I'm assuming you mean like there's a good reaction from the crowd. Like,
1: yeah, like just like, of... oh, yeah,
0: this feels right. Like, this feels good. Yeah. So, both yeah. parts of it. Like, I just remember like growing up, there was that, there's an HBO miniseries about John Adams. And it's I, money, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I remember feeling like, yeah, and I wasn't like a huge like presidential like historian at whatever age I was when I came out. I just remember feeling like, yeah, this has, this has great people in it, but. <laughs> who cares about John Adams? Like, is that is he really that interesting?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting in sort of a mature way that, that does not loan itself to comedy at all. He defended the the British guys who shot the the guys in the Boston Massacre, so you know, it took integrity for him to do that. Um, but is it funny? No. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: how like how much more are you performing? Does that get the ball rolling for you?
1: Yeah, it got the ball rolling for sure. Um, because Dojo started doing like uh holiday shows uh around that time. So it's basically like whoever in the community was taking a sketch class in the last like year or two, uh, who wants to be in this show that we're that we're theming for Halloween um can be in it. So uh that happened relatively soon after Hmm. Um, so i was with a group of i don't know maybe nine or ten other people and uh we put up something like 10 sketches that were all halloween themed um and i was really excited about the one i i got to contribute it was um it was like a human centipede sketch where the guy is um well the 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 mad scientist is like explaining what's going to happen to them but then the one guy is just really excited to be eating shit uh so yeah not like the not the most high concept thing but uh it it was a lot of fun to write and and then I got to like actually act in it and um that like from there that
0: uh, were you the guy
1: I was the scientist I was not okay
0: okay Uh, I I was curious to see like uh your process of casting yourself or being cast in your own work like I'm always curious, like, do you pick this role or that role? Like which media role do you, do you take the media role? Do you take like the big laughs, do you take, or are you just there and let other people shine, let your, let other people let your material shine? I was curious about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love um, letting other people just do my own stuff. I mean, I kind of started writing a sketch cause it was, um, it's a way to um, not have to be on stage all the time. I did have a little stage fright at first for sure. Yeah. Um, so just giving myself smaller roles was, was kind of a thing, but then, um, sometimes you're like, oh, well, you know, I have this idea in my head for like how the, the line should be like delivered, what kind of performance you should get. And then like, you know, with the people around, it's sometimes like this person is more suited for that. And then sometimes you might actually be the one who's more suited for that. So you put yourself in and it's just kind of, uh, kind of depends on getting a feel for the performers around you and, and, and knowing their strengths and weaknesses and your own strengths and weaknesses and putting them together.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like I always, at least early in my sketch career, like I would primarily only perform in stuff that I wrote, mm. because I had already basically had it memorized. You know, from writing and rewriting, yeah. I, like it was already in my head enough. I was like, all right, I can. I'm pretty close to the step one being done, so I'll give someone else the funny role, but I'll I'll be in it. Like <laughs> that's um, very
1: generous of you.
0: I mean, I don't. Even if he says it, they're my laughs too, so it's fine.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, all right, so I, I'm very curious uh when because you're perform you'll be performing at Bad Medicine Sketch Night at the DC Improv this week, mm-hmm. uh as Mike Bach and Friends. Yes. I'm very curious about people who i I'll, I'll say it this way that don't necessarily have like a permanent group. Instead Mm -hmm. you're bringing in these other group of collaborators. So what is the process for you of collecting and assembling this group for the specific show?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I I should say that some of these people are people I met not really through Sketch, through the alt comedy scene in DC. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh simultaneous to all, all of my sketch stuff there's also this uh show called comedy potluck in dc that is an alt comedy open mic and the idea is no straight up stand up no straight up improv just do uh whatever you want so that friend mm. i started watching originally back in 2013 when i first got out of college um has since moved on to hosting this show that's once once every month in dc um and i started doing like powerpoint comedy for that sure absolutely um, okay, yeah at the same time i was doing sketch and it was a lot of fun because you get to color outside the lines in the way that you can't really do with sketch and you also get to meet people who are um who think that sketch is maybe like not really their style um and sometimes it's like a stand up who has this like really weird idea for a bit and sometimes it's a musical comedian And sometimes it's, you know, someone who (laughs) wants to do a puppet show. So uh, I've done that for years. I started doing um, like choose your own adventure PowerPoints where you kind of like link slides together and and tell a story based on kind of whatever Um, and just making connections through that and then making connections through the sketch world. Um, I had been in a sketch comedy group called Dear Friends for years Um, from like 2017, 2020. It kind of fell apart during the pandemic um so once that ended i i realized i still wanted to do sketch and then i thought well i made all these connections um including isaiah from bad medicine who, who said like hey we've got this show coming up to dc we've got this slot of the dc improv uh you thinking about doing something um so i said hell yeah um let me see like who i can tap among like my, my friends and colleagues to you know uh put on a great show so um I got a former member of Dear Friends. I got another co host of Comedy Potluck. And then I got a third guy who um, has been doing uh, alt comedy and sketch for years in the DC scene. Um, so, with our powers combined, we put on this Voltron of a comedy show. It's called Mike Bogg and Friends because we couldn't think of a better name.
0: Uh, I want to pause because you, you brought up Dear Friends, and that's a name I've heard of. I don't know how much I've seen. I, I, I've definitely never seen Dear Friends live. I might have seen like a video or two. Anyway, so let's talk about your friends. Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, that was the Dojo uh, House Show. So there's there's okay. uh, um, the 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 Halloween show uh, that I mentioned we, I did back in like 2017. Mm. Uh, that core group went on to do a Christmas show and then a Valentine's Day show, and then the the eight or so people who stuck around for all three became dear friends.
0: Oh, nice. Okay, so yeah. so it kind of became like a house team mm-hmm. naturally yeah instead exactly. of like oh that's interesting instead of necessarily like being cast or writing like a full submission submission packet or anything um how was that team how would you describe that team like comedy wise
1: oh it was a it was a, a good uh mix of different skill sets there were people who um a lot of the the crew was uh improvisers just like were on um house teams at dojo and then also did some stuff with wit. Um and then there were kind of oddballs like me who mostly just focused on sketch. And then there are people who are in the, the theater scene. Um so pretty much whenever we put on a show, we just had like different um thoughts and inputs on on how to how to put together comedy. So uh I think it that mix of different uh Talents really lent itself to like a good sketch team. And the fact mm. that we all you know, did three shows before we even started um, really helped with like cohesion and like all being on the same page and being, you know, like respectful of each other's ideas and all that stuff,
0: yeah, the idea of performing together before actually becoming like an official team is is very interesting to me. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard of that happening with another group like uh it feels way more comfortable to be honest like yeah, like, it was pretty cool. like knowing that this works decently well mm-hmm. before actually getting started you know that that's that yeah that feels great
1: <laughs> it's kind of like uh being friends before you're in a relationship i guess
0: yeah oh um all right so the alt comedy scene and comedy potluck I, i've heard of comedy potluck i've again i've never been live mm-hmm. but like is is that a place for comics in dc to kind of like like their freak flag go like to to do their weird more bizarre thing that they wouldn't necessarily do like in their own show
1: yeah for sure that's the idea i mean you got your regulars like uh like me who's you know, just kind of doing um, more PowerPoint stuff, but then um, you also get some people who are established comedians. Um, and oh, geez, one that uh, one that really sticks out is this guy who um, Jason Nunez, DC comedian, who had this idea for uh, kind of a, like a, a noir detective with a gravelly voice, um, and uh, he's called the Come Detective because he can he can see <laughs> and hear and smell and taste come whenever it's around on the crime scene so his the the bit is just him he's wearing a a trench coat in a fedora and he's just got this voiceover of him talking about his his cum powers um and that's that's just something that wouldn't fit at like a standard open mic but he had the idea and he wanted to put it up because it's funny so uh potluck is the place to do stuff like that
0: i guess i never think of it like for the stand-ups necessarily like to try their weird thing, like that if they have this weird idea, it's not gonna work like within a normal stand-up context. Like mm-hmm. so having that weird show definitely helps. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that <laughs> you named yourself Mike Bach and Friends because you couldn't think of a better option. Like, where are their options? <laughs> <laughs> no we just procrastinated and hit the deadline
1: <laughs> and the producer of the show was like hey i need this like now and i was like
0: eh. uh, is there a chance that the the group of that you have together for this would perform regularly
1: well we've got another show lined up the dc arts center uh about a month later so it's possible i mean this is this is a crew that's that's my friends so like, mm. that's not just the title they're actually my friends so you know if we, if we uh if we do a couple of these and think that it's worth um, sticking around for sure. But also, you know, if, if, uh, if that's not the case, then I don't know. I, I, I kind of envisioned it as a one-off this whole time, but if it, if it goes really well, who's, who who's to say.
0: And for the show, everyone's right. Like everyone's sharing and writing duties or are Is it like just your sketches?
1: Uh this show will just be my sketches that we all punched okay. up. Okay.
0: Okay, cool. Okay. Well then, I guess the Mike Back and Friends doesn't isn't as weird <laughs> to since uh you know, we're starting with your first drafts.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's there's six sketches and I, I wrote um five of them and then the sixth one is just uh, another another uh performer um her just her idea.
0: Let's talk about the PowerPoint thing because I, you're not the only person I've, I've talked to that has used PowerPoint as a medium to convey, you know, the joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, what's your approach to it though?
1: It depends on the bit. <laughs> That's a cop-out answer, but it depends on the bit. Um, you know, I, I, for Choose Your Own Adventures, um, I really like them because the Audience gets invested in it in a way that they wouldn't necessarily get from you just delivering a straight up presentation. Um, that interactivity is something that I feel like people crave without realizing that they're craving when they go to a comedy show. I mean, like most of the experience is passive, but when you make it active by saying, like, you're trapped in Jeff Bezos's mansion, he's hunting you for sport. Here's what you can do you can <laughs> um, hide in the closet or you can run up the secret set of stairs. Um, and then they get to shout the answer and it's just a lot more engaging bit than me describing. I was trapped in Jeff Bezos's mansion and he was hunting me for sport. Here's what I did.
0: Do you ever get the people like me that would actively try to sabotage that kind of thing? Cause just giving that example of yeah. hiding in the closet versus running up the secret thing in my head. And you know, this is me being in comedy and being around forever. I would think that the the running up the secret steps has a, a better th- scenario, mm-hmm. so I want to hide in the closet just to screw with you,
1: because <laughs> yeah. I feel like
0: you the joke there might not be as good.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of um, parapsychology involved in taking in out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Where I mean, you can also cheat it and be like, "Oh, that closet ha huh, has a shoot." Up those secret stairs, like
1: that's that's really probably what's happening most of the time, <laughs> without giving away too much of the, uh, the the secret sauce recipe. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The idea that like as much as it's a choose your own adventure, you've taken away a lot of the choice. Well, <laughs> or or you're still going to end up where you want.
1: Yeah, there's usually only one ending, but how you get right. to that ending is up
0: to you. Oh, what was it? Um, oh goodness. Someone here in Philly did that kind of thing, and I, I want to say that it was like in the, in not necessarily like in a PowerPoint. I want to say it was like a radio play, where it was oh. a cho- where it was like a choose your own adventure radio play. And after the show, uh, he had told me that the audiences choices led to the shortest possible outcome (laughs) like (laughs) like best case scenario like like if it was like a like a full long flowing story it would have ended up like being a full hour long but this because of all our our awful choices like we were done in 30 minutes
1: Mm.
0: and that also feels awful to me like that possibility of not maybe not necessarily and maybe this was just like the inexperience of that format where he didn't have those detours where the choices aren't, aren't completely baked in like.
1: Yeah. I so, I mean, I think the way to do that is to, you know, okay, you've got a choice here. You know, you, you got the, you got the mansion and you got the secret stairs um, or you, you, sorry, you've got the, uh, what was the, exact the closet the closet and the secret stairs and, um, and these are two branching paths but then they meet in the middle because no matter where you go you end up in jeff bezos's cowboy hat room where he keeps <laughs> right cowboy hats. so you know you can you can make this path but then if they meet in the same place in the middle it's actually pretty linear so you get that whole length of the story that you wanted originally
0: it's kind of the, the idea um like that uh, this this makes perfect sense in my head. It might not make sense when I it comes out of my mouth. Like that—that that TV show, Amazing Race. Like, hmm. no matter how fast you get, you do that for that. You know that that episode. All of the teams are together at the start of the next episode.
1: That's right. You, like, yeah, so no, no matter
0: your your lead, no matter what, like, there's always gonna be a situation where everything just like everyone's. You know, oh, we're all waiting for the same plane again. Cool. Like why did I try so hard last time?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like a uh, legs of the Tour de France or something.
0: Yeah. Ugh, biking. That sounds awful. <laughs> Not for me. I bought an electric bike so I didn't have to pedal anymore, so <laughs> the Tour de France makes no sense to me. <laughs> uh, how would you describe the the scene in DC from where you where you see it?
1: It's especially I mean, in a in a,
0: in a post lockdown world
1: yeah now that um we are quote over quote covid uh it's been a little weird to be honest um it seems like there's like these weird issues of supply and demand popping up um a lot of places where you could like reliably do comedy shows um are like saying like hey we want to pivot out of that because you know like people didn't get to go to a bar for two years and and now like we are our business is so good that
0: actually we don't need to, you like, yeah.
1: shows to bring to um and on the other on the other hand, there's new bars are opening up and saying like oh yeah, like we are desperate for business so uh anything anything we can get because people don't even know we're around because no one's really gone out in two years um that that's the thing too uh there's it feels like there's just so many uh open mics for sketch now or sorry for stand-up now um and like way more than there used to be and i don't really know why that is maybe it's because it's the lowest lift for like a production um but it seems like there's a lot less opportunities for improv and sketch than there used to be
0: okay i'm like so i've made the joke uh that basically since the lockdown and people start doing shows and stuff, I have seen more comedy in DC than I have in Philadelphia. Like yeah. I've, I've come down to DC for a number of bad medicine shows because they're friends of mine and they're doing stuff. And the scene here in Philadelphia has completely cratered and we're still in that, that sense of like, how do we rebuild this? Like, yeah. Um. So I, I'm a, it, Sounds awful to say it this way, but it feels good to know that other cities are having that issue with putting up improv and sketch shows, like like we are. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, we have com- camaraderie in our suffering, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it's it, it's bizarre because it, it seems like you know people kind of want to go back to the way it was, but there's just somehow fewer opportunities. Like something is not quite lined up here.
0: Well, I think, um, again, this, I don't know this would, would make the cut, but like here in Philadelphia, we lost the two major theaters that were like, you know, seven night a week comedy theaters. And I, I feel in DC, you also have lost because Dojo's not running right now. Um, I don't know about lit. I don't know about Washington Improv. Like, I don't know what those two, but like the theaters that are that we're actively supporting and dedicated to that art form of comedy like them going away like it sketch is a harder sell to to sell to a bar than a stand-up of a mic like everyone knows what stand-up is it doesn't it's not totally true but like it doesn't necessarily like require the uh the fully active attention that a sketch or improv show does. Mm -hmm. Like you can have a dude just rambling on, on a stage. And I'll still be watching the, you know, the blank screen, you know, whatever sports on, on silent, like whatever he's yammering on about, doesn't matter (laughs) where I feel like, you know, sketch and improv, you do need that like attention from a crowd and it doesn't work when a bar has too many other things going on. Like, Yeah. yeah. I, and I, th- I think it's funny that you, you mentioned it as like a supply and demand thing, because I, I've i never thought of it in those terms, or at least, you know, in our current situation where like, where I think in Philadelphia, we're having supply and demand issues, and I don't know how to fix either one first.
1: Yeah. I mean, the supply to me is like people in their mid-20s to early 40s who um want to be up and on stage and tell jokes and you know it seems like dc like dc is DC's the same as everywhere else it's like it's just getting really expensive for young people to live like in the city proper so like all of these like central city locations um that would you know rely on um a steady turnover of like young people mm. in the industry like they are kind of gravitating to like more peripheral parts like suburbs or you know just a different city entirely so you know like <laughs> as, as the city itself changes like there's a lot of just like you know really expensive like high-rise apartments um closer to the water and then like the, the places in where comedy used to be like thriving hotspot like the middle of the city like it's just really hard for young people to live there so I don't I'm kind of rambling here but it's like this weird like situation where like the, just there are physically like fewer people who are interested in doing comedy than they used to be and that's creating all these issues with like selling tickets and like putting up shows and, and all this stuff so it's weird man
0: yeah uh, I, I feel like the COVID and the pandemic has put live comedy maybe not necessarily well I mean maybe in New York but like in all the the major markets that aren't like the top three or four like our specific comedy scenes will take Mm -hmm. years to rebuild like yeah and that sounds so daunting it really does
1: yeah because so much of it is just like someone who's lived in the city for years and got really good at doing comedy and you know uh i feel like dc and probably philly like tend to export people who get really good
0: would you be able to describe the tone of what you expect Mike Bach and friends to be.
1: Yeah, so I um, take a lot of inspiration from kind of adult swim shows like Tim and Eric. Yeah, okay. um, I like I try and aim for humor that's like fast paced and a little surreal and just like bizarre enough to be funny. Um, and you know, while blending like the, the the traditional sort of sketch setup and punchlines, like I just try and do something unexpected. So. I would say pretty goofy a little surreal um and maybe a little wit in there although maybe i'm you know selling my own talents
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay i've mentioned to a couple other guests in the past like adult swim is not my jam Mm -hmm. like the stuff that i've seen of tim and eric i i don't and i feel like for a while they've been the patron saints like of adult swim it felt like their hands have been on a lot of stuff so if you mentioned, a sh- you know, that your show has an Adult Swim vibe, like, or, you know, that's a realist vibe. Could you recommend something to me from Adult Swim that, like, check this out, like, give this a chance?
1: <laughs> hmm. Well, have you seen the Eric Andre show?
0: I No, I've never watched his chat chat.
1: gateway for for this kind of. Thing.
0: <laughs>
1: it's his bits. I mean, he's he's he does a talk show bit where he's he's kind of just trying to like gross out and freak out his guest, um, but in between that he has like you know sort of man on the street style, um, almost like Nathan for you kind of bits. But mm-hmm. it's he's just some you know weirdo who's trying to give people a ball made of pizza. <laughs> and you know just like these these absurd concepts that you just would never expect i mean it's got like a lot in common with sketch dna wise but uh could be a good gateway
0: all right i'll give eric andre show a chance yeah because yeah the tim and eric stuff i've seen like i i don't i don't get it
1: it's really not for everybody
0: (laughs) and like they're you know in our heads they're they're philly guys made good so like you can i you kind of want to support it like as a philly person
1: yeah are there is there a big like uh turmeric, uh community of
0: I, I mean i know i know they have their fans i don't know if like the the friends i have overlap with that group but i know that they're there like my my you know i've seen a couple of the, those episodes of tim and eric but like my biggest impression of them is that uh they did the music video for a Ben Fold song. And it's mm. just like them doing that like weird, like like blinky, weird reaction that they do. Yeah. Like constantly. And it's not for me. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it's like so, you know, they're so they're so big from like 2009 what, nine to thirteen or whatever. And then they did that god, like so the old old spice power body wash, whatever commercials that got really big in like a Super Bowl or something, yeah. and then Every uh, commercial started trying to eat their bit, and that's still happening.
0: Yeah. Oh. Um, Oh, like all those like Skittles commercials, and Old Spice is still doing it. Like, yeah, makes me never want to eat or use any of those products.
1: Yeah, they. I think they kind of grabbed the worst parts of (laughs) Timmy when they started making those.
0: Oh goodness. Um. So. As we're wrapping up, I asked the same two questions, everybody. It's a chance to get a little deeper at the end. Um, I'm not trying to make you sure. cry, but yeah, a little depth. Uh, so first off, you've been doing stuff and you've been, you know, you you dipped your toe in stand-up. You tried Sketch, did a ton of improv before coming back to Sketch, really. Um, and then going into, like, alt stuff, like, what is a piece of advice that you would give to a new writer? Hmm.
1: Yeah, just listen to people who (laughs) give you advice. I think people who (laughs) who you respect and trust, um, if they say something about your bit, um, they tend to be right. You know, like a lot of comedians like have these instincts that they don't really, um, that they trust for no reason, I guess. Um, And then if there's someone who, you know, watched your bit and they've been doing comedy for years and then they say, hey, you know, you've got this character and that's fine. But listen, you really don't need to do that weird voice with it.
0: Probably yeah, I, I think, and I think the mention that like you know someone that you trust and respect is is key there because taking advice from anybody is probably oh, yeah. not great.
1: You can't just be some <laughs> asshole on the street. It's got to be someone someone who you you have a rapport with.
0: Yeah, it's so all your thing, and you know balls are funny. Maybe put more balls in it. You know, like <laughs> that kind of stuff.
1: Listen to that guy.
0: Although at the same time, uh, someone that I really do trust and respect, uh, Kevin Allison from the state, I did a class with him like back in like 2011 or so. and I learned that he just loves shit jokes. Hmm. So that was his pitch for almost everything was like, I think he pitched to like four different people in my class, like the joke of like, hey, you got to take a shit. Like, and I think only one of them took him up on it. And granted, it made it 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 was good in that context, but like it wouldn't have worked for a couple of the other sketches that you pitched it to.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Kevin Allison is, is really good at writing good shit jokes in Kevin Allison
0: sketches. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. His voice lends to it. In an extent. Um and finally, like, I mean, you mentioned a bit already about like the drive of like seeing other people at stand up and I mean at, at open mics and you know wanting to do it yourself, whether it was, oh, I I I'm better than that guy or, you know, whatever else. But yeah. Why why comedy? Like why has comedy become such a big part of your life?
1: It it's something that where I just kind of appreciate the the social aspect of it and I appreciate the craft. I think probably the craft more than anything else. I I just once I it kind of clicked for me after taking those improv classes and those sketch classes that this is a thing you can just sort of study and analyze and get a little bit better at every time. Um, and then if you do it for years, you just get better and better at it. And as long as you're paying attention and taking notes when you see something funny and taking notes when you see something that isn't funny, um that informs your own work. And then you know you do it more and then you get better and you 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 start incorporating stuff from things you've seen that aren't comedy like you you watch a, a movie and you really resonate with that and then you think like what part of that movie can i bring into my own comedy just that whole process of, of you know like just taking stuff you see in your in your in your life and your 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 uh stage experience and then just like putting it all together that is the thing that gets me excited the most just this whole idea of treating it like it's this thing that you get to work on and you get to decide how it goes and that's the part I get really jazzed about
0: yeah I I think that the trope that like all comedians have that notebook mm-hmm. or that notes app where it's just random ramblings of like gobbledygook but it all makes perfect sense to us like <laughs> because we we are constantly seeing things to make something better or you know to start a joke with or anything like that like and that pres- like oh goodness i know i ugh, who said it some stand up and it's killing me that i can't remember who it was but i'm sure at the end of this episode i'll i'll remember and i'll say it talked about like how comedy is the only thing that gets harder as you keep doing it
1: <laughs>
0: because like I, I feel like it's like a chris rock or jerry seinfeld someone who's been doing it for forever um Because even though like you might become huge and famous and have that attention, like a Chris Rock or Jerry Seinfeld has, you still have to perform and you still have to do it. Like you get that little bit of a grace period, but then there's an expectation of, Oh, I'm seeing a Jerry Seinfeld show. This better be worth, you know, whatever I'm spending or like even, even, with my friends like that have been doing sketch or whatever this this sketch does the sketch hold up to something else i've seen others in the past like i'll I'll talk about bad medicine because you know again a bunch of my friends and stuff there's a specific bad medicine sketch that i love with all my heart and uh it's it's a sketch called wolves where it's a game show about wolves attacking it makes me giddy more than like there's a few sketches that make me as giddy as that does so there's a part of me where like does this next sketch or next show level up to this you know level of what i love
1: yeah um yeah are they gonna top that
0: right <laughs> like is any are, are they going to bring me as much joy as that one did before like and it yeah. sounds awful but like and they do like
1: i i, I know what you mean though about just the, this you gotta top yourself every time and you can't like there's no way you're 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 if you've got an audience like oh this is like my my first draft of a sketch it's probably not gonna be that good yet like you can't put that up like you just gotta you gotta do better uh, every time and that that is it's pressure um but as uh as someone said, no pressure, no diamonds.
0: Was that Jerry Seinfeld, too? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike.
1: Thank you.
0: You can see Mike Bach and friends perform at Bad Medicine Presents Sketch Night, along with Trash Bang. Trash Bang is from richmond virginia at the dc improv in washington dc obviously on saturday june 18th two shows 7 p.m 9:30. tickets are available at dcimprov.com. the next comedy potluck is taking place july 16th at artemis search comedy potluck on facebook for more on that one i don't think the event page has been created as i record this then mike bach and friends are performing at wednesday night comedy on july 27th at the DC Arts Center, you can get tickets on Eventbrite. Head to MikeBachComedy.com and follow Mike on Instagram at BachMJ. Don't forget what I told you at the beginning. A live and in-person sketchy Tattooed Mom, South Street. Sunday, June 26th. It's 6 p.m. Have Sunday dinner with us. Head to sketchybaiter.com for all the details and how you can sign up. My first sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music of this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.